are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Ezra is an incredible book. There are three that go together. It's Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. They're all post-exile books. They were in bondage in Babylon. Babylon was an incredible place. It was a wicked place, but the jobs were incredible. The pay was great. The city, the area was successful. It was the hub of the entire world. Uh, To land a job in Babylon in that region was a wonderful thing, even for the Jews. They had houses in Babylon. They had lands in Babylon, though they were in bondage. The bondage came to an end and the king, Cyrus, said, okay, you Jews, you can go back home. You don't have to stay in this foreign country. When Ezra told them the good news from Cyrus and God raised up the king Cyrus, who in the vernacular of today would not be considered a Christian, But it's amazing how God can raise up even kings and presidents to help the work of God. And so here, uh, this king gave an edict, you can go home. The Jews said, we don't want to go home. We like it right here. We have good jobs. We have nice places to live. We don't want to go back to Israel. We don't want to go back to Jerusalem. We don't need all that religion like we had and the law back there. We're we're doing fine right here. And so they didn't go. Ezra pled with them and he found 50,000 that would go back. They're gonna rebuild that temple and they were gonna restore and come back and restore the worship of God in Jerusalem. And so in the first six chapters, there's only 10 chapters, the first six chapters takes about 20 years. And in those 20 years, they're restoring worship and they're restoring uh, the house of God and they're getting right with God and getting back anchored. The last four chapters, chapter seven through 10, six through 10, four chapters there, are chapters that deal with 60 years. So the entire book is 80 years. So the man who writes this is a very elderly man now. As he's writing to us, he's looking back what these 80 years have done for just a remnant. God has never used the majority to bring back a nation or an area to God. God has always used the remnant. I wonder if you and I are gonna be that remnant in this region. I'm not saying we're the only church. I'm not saying I'm certainly the only pastor. I know I'm not. But I wonder if there's something that's been happening and stirring in the hearts in this captivity. Sentenced to your home. Perhaps you still had good income. Perhaps you've still been paid or you're working from home. But we've been shut out of school and in church. And I hope that we don't get to the point, I don't believe we will because I see what I see today, where people say, we kind of like it this way. We like having Sundays to ourselves. We like watching the service online. That's just the way it works. Maybe we don't have to do this church thing, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Where is that in the Bible anyway? And all of a sudden, if we're not careful, we're gonna get accustomed to what it's been like the last 12 weeks. 
this remnant return, and God always has a remnant. They were brave people. I consider you very brave people, the home of the brave today. They come to chapter number nine, and God gave a, a, a verse in chapter number nine and verse eight. Ezra writes, but now for a little space of grace. He's referring to those 80 years, 20 and 60, those 80 years. It's just a little window. It's a space of grace where God poured out his favor on man. When God would pour out his favor on a church, North Valley Baptist Church, it's just a space. It's just a window. And I want to speak about that, that space of grace today in these brief moments. What was going on during this space of grace with the leader? And what was going on with the people in these years that followed coming back into the land? Well, the first thing I see was confession. We read about that in chapter nine as Brother Bertram read with you. Brother Bertram, I'm the same where you are, there you are, just to hear you read the scripture today and hear you sing and hear the orchestra play and, and all of it just to watch it today. Well, I tell you, it's, it's a high moment in my life. I hope it is in yours, I'm sure it is. But confession was made. You know what this shutdown has done for this leader? It's allowed me to examine my heart you know, all of us, I don't care who you are, we're full of pride and self-will. Now I've tried to do my very best to examine my heart. God has brought to my attention many verses, but one, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. And I preach that phrase, the sin that does easily beset us. In other words, every Christian has a sin that gets us sidetracked. I have sins that will get me sidetracked. I, I don't have a, a, a problem with alcohol. That doesn't smell good. I, I don't even want to be around it. I don't have a problem with cigarettes. I don't have a problem with drugs. Oh, but I have sins that can easily creep into my life. Everybody does. You, you might, it might be money. You're willing to sacrifice even your marriage or your family because of money. It might be fear. You're always afraid of everything. It might be anger. It may, might be that your well, uh, modern day word is uh, the last several hundred years, narcissistic. It might be some root problem because of a root problem in your childhood. You, you can't get over it and you keep bringing it into every relationship in life. First to marriage, then you bring it into a family, then you bring it to a church and there's always an issue going on. Everybody else is always wrong, you're always right. Everyone has a sin that does so easily upset us. And even again, early this morning, I was going through my life in, in, in prayer and I was praying for my own life and once you know it, I said, Lord, I'm praying for this and this. And all of a sudden, this, this sin that does so easily beset me, it's in my heart right now. God, please help me. I think we think that we arrived to a point where we're flawless and sinless. 
and I have no problems in my life and by the grace of God, I'm standing before you as a clean vessel before God and I seek to be that way before God's people. But it's so easy to get sidetracked in these 11 weeks. As I tried to walk with God, I've had some mountain peak experiences, had some desperate low valleys. And it's not with the people of God, and quite frankly, it's not always been with government. It always comes back to me. And here, this great man says, as a leader, I have to confess my sins. Notice what he said to people of Israel, verse one, chapter nine. The priests, the Levites, that's the leaders, have separated, have not separated themselves from the people of the lands. They've done abominations. And I have to say, Jack, have you done abominations? God's people have to say it. And then he said this, verse two, we mingled our holy seed with those of the land. And he was so moved, he said, I ripped my garment. I plucked my hair off. I sat down, I was astonished. Because of verse four, our transgressions. I was astonished until the evening sacrifice. At the evening sacrifice, I rose up my heaviness. You know, sin can weight us down, it's heavy. It weights us down, it weights me down. The heaviness, I fell on my knees. I spread out my hands to the Lord. If you're like me, I've experienced this so many times these last 11, 12 weeks. Sometimes in the dark of the night, sometimes in the early morning, sometimes in the middle of the day, sometimes just walking on this property, sometimes just getting alone with God somewhere and just saying, oh dear God, I need help. Because I feel like Paul, oh wretched man that I am. God, I have such great faith. And then the next moment I have such great fear. And he said, I, I've got to confess my sins and I fell on my knees and I prayed. You know what we need in this room right now today is some husbands and some fathers and I'd say, not my wife, but it's me. I've got to get along with God and get right with God. My wife deserves a man of God. In some cases, it might be a wife that needs to get on her knees and before a holy God say, my family, my husband needs a godly wife and I got kids need a godly mother. God is my sin, I'm confessing. I'm confessing to you right now. When's the last time you confessed to God about you? I know for a fact, because I've reworked my prayer journal in these last 12 weeks. It's taken me a long time. I've done several pages at a time, and then the next day or two, I'll get a couple more pages, and I look at that prayer journal, and I tell you who, has the most pages in my prayer journal, perhaps hundreds of needs in his life is your pastor. Yes, I have a backslidden page. Yes, I have a this page and that page and on and on it goes. But the largest pages I have in my journal, it's about my life. God, would you please help me I don't want to go crawling to heaven as a wicked, filthy, godless person. I want to go to heaven walking in light and walking with God and knowing God and fearing God all the days of my life. He made confession, but then his confession was not only of himself, 
Because in verse six, he said, I am ashamed to blush to lift up my face. Then he adds the people, our iniquities are increased over our head, our trespass. Our fathers, our dads had great trespass, but we've even had more. And then for this little space of grace and for the sake of time, if you read that entire chapter all the way back down, he keeps talking about their sin and my sin and our sin and our sons and our daughters and their sins and our evil deeds and our great trespass and our filthiness. All these words he says here and forsaken thy commandments and we cannot stand, last verse, cannot stand before thee because of this. We have sin, sin, sin in our life. I would ask you on this first Sunday back, would you please take time for it with God this week if you haven't and say, God, reveal to me, search me, oh God, and know my heart. Try me, oh Savior, know my thoughts, I pray. Would you let God do a work, teenager? Don't live in hypocrisy. Be honest before God. Be honest with your mother. Be honest with your father. And get right with God. Here's my sin. Here's the, here's the area, mother, I'm struggling with in my life. Dad, help me with this. Help me in this area. Oh, I wish we could give an invitation where you could walk forward, but this morning you could kneel in a few moments there at that pew and pour your heart out to God. And would you say, Lord God, not only am I praying and confessing my sin, I'm gonna walk with you this week and I want you to reveal to me where I've sinned and not gotten it right. We have sinned. So there was confession. And I like this when you get to chapter number 10. And when they had prayed and when they had confessed, weeping, casting himself down before the house of the Lord, it's a good place to get right with God. There are some of him out of Israel, a very great congregation of men, women, children, for the people wept sore. They cried out, we have trespassed our God, verse two, taken strange wives of the people of the land and now there's, there's hope in Israel concerning this thing. Now, therefore, let us make, verse three, a what? Covenant. A covenant is agreement. After we confess our sins, I think we ought to make some covenants with God some agreements with God. Perhaps some couples ought to make a covenant from this day forward. We'll never let the sun go down on our wrath with one another ever again. Never again. Perhaps we ought to make a covenant that, that I'll stop putting my kids in fear. I don't want my kids to live in fear. Perhaps my covenant is I don't want to have a dual life with our family. Perhaps my covenant is I'm never going to say a negative word against anybody again. I'm not going to get on the Twitter and trash people. I'm going to be a man of God, a woman of God, a teenager of God. I'm going to make a covenant with God. And I think young people can make some covenants. It was around the time that John F. Kennedy was shot and killed, 63. I was delivering papers. 
And I'll never forget the Sunday morning when my cousin and I found a pack of cigarettes. I gave that illustration several years ago and a man who was saved in our church said, in Fremont, I'll tell you where you were, you were in Fremont. I said, I was. And he said, you were on Porter Avenue. I said, I was. And he said, the cigarettes were mine. He said, I get to that corner, I throw my cigarettes out, and I say, I'm gonna give them up. Today's my day. And I said, you found my cigarettes on a Sunday morning. I did it all the time, and a lot of times, I guess on Saturday, he was a member of this church, I never had any idea. That probably had to be 1963. That morning we found him. I wanted so badly to smoke. I grew up in an era where everybody stand at the bus stop waiting for the bus on ninth grade, 10th grade. Every girls, guys, everybody have their smokes out smoking. Just the way it was. And then girls put the smokes in the purse. The guys put the smokes away at break, at, at lunch. Everybody go to the bathrooms and smoke and say, hey, the teacher's coming. And the place was blue and the teacher would come in there and say, is someone smoking in here? <laughs> no, no one's smoking. Man, it smelled like a chimney. I felt like such a sissy that morning. But Brother Fred, that night, that day I said, Lord, I've never heard preaching against cigarettes. I've not heard my dad talk about it. But I know if my dad and mother caught me smoking, it'd bother them. And I know, I, I know our church would not want that. I know my pastor wouldn't want that. And God, I don't think you do. And I said, it still is a junior high age boy, a little bit younger. I said, Lord, I want to smoke so bad, but I'm going to make you a promise that I'll never touch a cigarette. That doesn't make me a better Christian than you. I'm just saying I made a covenant. I can remember making a covenant with God, Lord, I'm gonna take my hands off my life. I don't even wanna stay in Bible college. I wanna to go to the Marine Corps. I wanna to go to Vietnam. That's what I wanna do. I don't think that's what you want me to do, but, but God, I'm gonna make a covenant. If I don't get drafted, God, I promise you I'll stay in Bible college. I made a covenant with God. We made a covenant so many years ago as a marriage couple. I believe covenants are very important. What I see these people out of exile now, they started to confess their sins. And you know when you confess your sins, you're gonna to wanna to make some covenants. Through the years, people that attack something like that, what I just said, ah, I don't believe, they've not probably spent the time on point one, confessing your sins. And then we make a covenant, and then I think we're out of time. May I show you what takes place? Verse four. Arise, for this matter belongeth unto thee, for we will be with thee. Be of good courage and do it. When we confess our sins, and when we make a covenant with God, we have some courage to do what's right before God. We have courage. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is doing what you're supposed to do in the midst of fear. I must confess, all this week, and yea, through the night, and this morning, I thought, and I dismiss you, I wonder what awaits me out there today. I don't think anything will but I've wondered it.
And when I walked out of the house to walk to church this morning, and I kissed my wife, I hugged her, I wondered, would I be home tonight? And I will be. You know that. I know that. But it's an amazing thing how fear can get a hold of you real fast. I love Psalm, Isaiah 41. God has not given us a spirit of fear. I love 2 Timothy 1.7 where he speaks that he's given us peace and a sound mind. You know, as I read my Bible, close this Bible to give you children hope and your kids have been perfect. You've been better than your parents. David had courage. Is there not a cause with this Goliath? I'll go get him. That was courage. John the Baptist had courage. His head was cut off his body, but he said, you're, hey, hey, King, you're living with a woman who is your brother's wife. And because of he lost his head. The apostle Paul had courage. Those, those Jews just said, don't go to Jerusalem. He goes, I know bonds and afflictions, they wait for me there, but none of these things move me. Neither can I my life dear to myself. And then he said, I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith, 2 Timothy 4, verse 7. I've finished my course. I, I'm now ready to be offered. And he's, his head was severed. Hey, I want to say, John the ba John, uh, Elijah, when he called down fire from heaven and the prophets of Baal, he had courage. Put more water on the altar. The fire of God will burn it up. I think about the fact how that, that uh, Jeremiah had courage and Isaiah had courage. We need to live in a day where there's courage that we believe God can. God can. Abraham Lincoln said this, to sin by silence when a man should stand makes man a coward. To sin by silence. I think you've shown courage here today. You've come to the house of God. God's given us a, a space of grace. I've been praying for this space of grace for a couple years now. And you know what I'm going to say because you've heard me say it. I believe that our Lord, 2 Peter, is not willing that any should perish. And the rapture, it seems like it's around the corner. But it would be in the character of God to send one more revival. Because he doesn't want people to die and go to hell. And that's why in the text in chapter number 9 and 10, he says, well, the, the, re, 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 reviving us. There's revival. Revival in our heart. I believe it's going to begin with weeping again. I want to see this auditorium, just so many men in all these sections last night filled with men praying and begging God for God to do something. Oh, I know it's a dark night. Young person, that's why God's raised you in the situation where he's raised you. With a single mother or a single father or a mother and dad, whatever the circumstance might be, God has allowed you to be prepared because he may just uh, raise you up to be the next one to say, I'm going to help to lead a city, an area, a state, a country, a nation, a continent back to God. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. 
For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.